When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You are now entering Odyssey Station. Please remain seated until docking is complete. Odyssey. Dare to wonder. Good evening, afternoon, or morning to wherever you may be. I'd like to thank you for tuning in and welcome you to Ufodicy on Odyssey. On this show, we're going to discuss UFO news, events both new and historical, and other fields related to UFOs. My name is Thomas Wortman. I'm the State Director for the Mutual UFO Network of Ohio, along with being a member of the Case Assistance Group. Before the show, is checking out the sporting news, and tomorrow happens to be the opening day for Major League Baseball. Now, this is a time of year I can always tell that the weather's changing here in Ohio, the flowers start blooming, leaves start coming out on trees, and I go through a ritual almost every year of putting on all the major baseball movies, some of the best ones of all time. I end up sitting back in the easy chair, eating potato chips, drinking diet soda, again you have to drink the diet soda to offset all the potato chips, and watching movies like Bull Durham, Fields of Dream. Uh, the Natural with Robert Redford, and of course, since I'm here from Cleveland, Major League. And I have to put on my Roger Dorn, one of the characters from Major League's movie, just to show I'm the closet nerd. And in reality, the closest I probably ever would have came myself to playing professional baseball would be putting on that jersey. The reality is, I couldn't hit that well, I couldn't field that well, I couldn't catch the ball well, that well. And needless to say, I don't think I could run that well either. So the only thing I could do is sit back and dream about being a professional baseball player watching these movies. From my viewpoint, it's not a calendar that tells me that spring is beginning. It's the opening day of baseball season. Moving on from baseball, I was getting a lot of emails the last few weeks discussing what's called a supermoon. Now, the supermoon is a point where the moon itself travels around the Earth in not really a perfectly circular orbit, but a elliptical orbit. And there's a point where it happens to be closer than any other time. And during this event, when it happened to be its closest, it also happened to be a full moon, making the moon appear its brightest. I'm always curious as to how many people could really tell the difference between the brightness of a regular full moon and one on the day called a supermoon. But it does call a lot of attention and make people look to the sky. With that in mind, I was watching a video uh, on the internet, and it happened to be a video shot from Los Angeles, California. And here, when you look at this video, you see this light streaking across the sky. And a number of the videos actually show it streaking across in front of the supermoon. Now, this thing looks like a meteor is going to hit Los Angeles. And it kind of reminds you of one of these movies out there, one of these doom and gloom movies, of a meteor striking a major city. Due to news broadcasts in that region promoting the event, I knew that MUFON is probably going to be receiving a number of reports. And I have to admit, this is one time I'm glad I don't live, live in California. I can just think of the challenge of following up on all of these reports. Anyway, I'd recommend you to go check out the video. Uh, look on YouTube for Los Angeles and UFO and see what pops up. I found quite a few different videos out there uh, of the event. What was great is... A number of the videos are from different angles, giving you a different perspective of the situation. You can see this brilliant flash of light streaking down across the sky that looks like a major fireball. But the city of Los Angeles, their police department, 
came out real quickly and were saying, you know, don't worry, it's nothing major. They actually found the source of the report very quickly. Being over Hollywood had to be something, it had to be something involved with that. And they were able to track it down to the Red Bull skydiving team. Myself, I went to the Red Bull Skydiving Team website. And when you check it out, they show individuals dressed in the Red Bull outfits with not just parachutes or parasails, but they have, in this case, kind of like the uh, little flaps or wings, whatever you want to call it, projecting out. These added sails allow them to move faster horizontally up to speeds like 120 miles an hour. Now, not only did they jump out at night, but they also had pyrotechnics strapped to them. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the type of individual that, first of all, I don't want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Secondly, I don't want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane with fireworks attached to my legs. But... That's what these guys do for shows. So they jumped out of a helicopter, according to the report, at 4,000 feet above Los Angeles, lit up the pyrotechnics, and are zipping across the sky at about 120 miles an hour. When these pyrotechnics were blazing behind them, from the proper angle, you could film them going across in front of the supermoon. And that looked like a major meteor was going to impact into the Los Angeles area. Scanning for more videos, I found a number of videos that actually even showed the parachutist up close and landing. You could see him coming in, the, the chutes opening up around the buildings of Los Angeles. Now myself, it would have been me jumping out of that plane, or helicopter I should say, I would have probably impacted into one of the buildings in downtown Los Angeles, like a fly hitting a windshield. And he would see me dropping down to the ground. Like Wile E. Coyote in a Roadrunner cartoon. So in the end, the whole thing turned out to be more of a publicity stunt for Red Bull. We've had similar types of events here in Ohio. Uh, every year around July, the summer months on air, we end up getting... A series of about seven to nine reports all in the same night all from around the same time frame and when you look at the reports like I've done you go back you put pin marks on a map where all the witnesses are standing and you look at the direction that all of them are seeing their unknown object and these marks can be 20 miles apart and when you start triangulating all of it all of the witnesses appear to be looking at one location. And one of the things I've started doing is when I get reports coming in like that, I go back and look for any major events occurring in that region. Here, we've had a number of them around the time of football games. And when you go back and you check out those reports and correlate it, with football games going on, you could have a major university football game going on that night. And the time frame appears during that football game. So I like to go back and say, okay, were there any events promoted at those games? And it was like three years in a row now, uh, three, four, five years in a row now, we've had those reports coming in and the football games happen to be featuring skydivers not with the sails on but just regular uh, special parachutes they were diving at night with pyrotechnics strapped onto them and landing at a football game or some other major events and when you see the videos from these witnesses these are wild these are great to see i mean here you see this sparks all streaming down and if you don't know what it is, you swear that it's like a meteor or UFO coming across. I reached out and contacted uh, the team from here in Ohio, which is called Team Fast Tracks. You can check out their website. You can see their videos on the Internet. 
I called them up and said, uh, did you happen to have anybody skydiving at a football game? They said, yes, that was our team. Uh, we rehearse, we practice a lot down in the Middleton, Ohio area. And we happened to be jumping on that given night. And when you check out the news broadcast from that same area, they come out and they say, yes, we did, did track it on ourselves to be, uh, to being skydivers. And the team itself, when I said, well, do you know you're getting publicity? Oh, really? We're getting publicity from jumping over to football game? I said, yes, people think that they're seeing UFOs. Oh, really? And the individual I talked to kind of started to snicker. But when you look at their website, it basically states that our jumps at night have been known to cause unusual attention. Well, it was basically referring to being seen as UFOs and taking that an extra step by getting the video of them featured on the evening news. It was attracting more attention for promoting those events. So every year in those summer months, I tend to look for another episode by this team in the region. And by the way, I recommend you check these videos out because they are fantastic, especially when you see them from the parachutist point of view. They're great. All those videos make me think, why don't we still have one good picture of UFO? I mean, all these witnesses out in Los Angeles captured this, these skydivers from all these different angles. But how many videos must there be out there taken from satellites then unless they're analyzed almost frame by frame something may be missed as an example of this back on december 18th there happened to be a fireball that came down over the bering sea and it was caught by nasa's terra satellite when the video was analyzed you can see this fireball streaking across the sky captured by the satellite. Nobody from the ground saw it. And here's something even more amazing. They estimated that the meteor was 32 feet long, roughly about 10 meters in diameter, weighed 150 tons. And as it went through the atmosphere at over almost 72,000 miles an hour. And then it exploded 15 miles above the ocean. They said that the explosion, the forces explosion, was equivalent to 173 kilotons. 173,000 tons of TNT. The energy, they said, was 10 times the energy as that of the atomic bomb dropped over Hiroshima. What's kind of scary about one of the articles I found was that even though this meteor had this much force, they said that the normal meteors that the systems to detect meteors look for are bigger than this one which blew up over the Bering Sea. So they're tracking things bigger than this, but look how much force one this size had. In the last show, I talked about the Coyne helicopter encounter back in 1973, which to me was an incredible UF, uh, helicopter encounter with UFO, and not just any helicopter, but a U.S. Army Reserve helicopter with a UFO over the Richland County, Ohio area in 1973. Now, to me, uh, being from Ohio, this happens to be one of the top three events of all time in Ohio. You have military personnel who also have excellent backgrounds outside of the military seeing an object up close, close enough that they reportedly said they thought it could hit the, the rotor blades of the helicopter. And all these years later, now you, you don't really hear anything about this story. It's kind of like faded with history. As an investigator, we get a lot of reports, uh, MUFON does a year, and you have to look at all these reports. Not all these reports are going to be, in this case, like a coin case or some of the other ones. 
that I've talked about on previous episodes on here. But they're worth looking at. And to me, you're going to turn over 100, maybe 1,000 rocks before you find these gems. But along that route, you have to be sharpening your skills by using your talents. And sometimes some really unexpected reports come in that really make you sit back and, number one, think about what's going on. Sometimes it can be a little bit scary. Other times it can be humorous. And I had one of these about, oh, I think probably about eight years ago now. Uh, about eight years ago, a report came in. And this report came in from an individual who identified himself. Now, I, I don't use names in this show because a number of these witnesses do want to remain anonymous. I want to protect that. And this witness reported that he lived down in the southern Ohio area, kind of a semi-rural area, and he went to dinner with his girlfriend on a given night. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't pull the report up to look over all the exact details I'm going to memory here, but it happened to be right around the summertime, because I remember the weather being hot, and he said they went to a restaurant, and one of the things they, they emphasize is, we were not drinking, uh, we were not consuming alcohol that night. And on our drive home, they had to drive out to a rural setting. The roads down there were very hilly. They kind of wound around, left, right, up, down, all over. And as they came around the turn, they saw this object that appeared to be hovering above the road. Now, they described the object as being kind of like box-like. And it had pods sticking down from it. It said these pods were a lighter color than the rest of the object. The object itself was kind of dark appearing on there, and it even appeared to be very hot. They said it appeared to be like distorted around the outside of the object on there. And this object was just hovering in the road. They came up on it at night, and they hit this thing. They struck this object. They could hear it the object hit the car and they said it went around in this case the area where the tires are at and they could hear it deflecting and bouncing around that area and they said that the object came up and started hitting the passenger side window and the girlfriend rolled the window up I think because they're afraid that like something's going to come in through that window this object whatever it was they took off down the road and they're like we're out of here you know they go down the road about another mile to where uh, the gentleman's house was at and they pulled in and they didn't go back they're like we're not going back we don't know what was that was was attacking the car but this thing that they really described as being like a drone a drone hovering above the ground and when they came around that corner, it's almost like they, they thought they caught that drone, I guess you could say, off guard. They struck the object, and either it started attacking the car, or for some reason it started bouncing off the outside of the car. And when they got home, they basically went inside the house, stayed there. And they said later on, lights came down the road and pulled in their drive. And they thought those lights were related back to the object. Like something was searching for the object, searching for them or something. That this these lights were associated with it because they said the lights came down the road, pulled in the drive, stayed there for a while, then back up and went out the other way. I'm like, holy crap, you know? I mean, what what is going on with this, you know? And the individual gave his name. He gave his profession. I won't mention the exact profession, again, because it could be related back to what he does for a living. But let me just say, he had a very professional career that somebody who reports things like this may not be um, looked at in a very good view by those uh, going after the services. And it could damage their career if they were to put out reports like this. So I agreed to keep everything in confidential. 
I did look his background up. I did check his background out with my resources on there. Some of the things I like to do is I like to go into LinkedIn. I like to go into Facebook. I like to look at things like that to see what interest people have on there. And he wasn't out promoting events like this on those pages. Sometimes what you'll find is an individual turning a report in and you look at their Facebook page and you see all they're talking about is UFOs, conspiracies, everything else. And that may have a bearing on the information that they're turning in. Well, in this case, it was absolutely nothing. He just had a very professional background. And he was actually surprised because he didn't initially tell me what he did for a living. I told him after I did my check when we were talking on the phone. Well, I agreed to go back down uh, to where he lived at. And I shouldn't say go back down. I agreed to go down to where he lived at because he said his car had physical damage from striking this object. I'm like, physical damage? How hard did he hit this thing, you know? And he said that, well, there's damage along the side of the car. There's damage along the back of the car. And it even looks like parts of the car may be melted. Melted. I mean, what's going to cause melting on a car? I mean, yeah, a lot of our cars anymore have plastic components on them. But what type of heat from this object? Now, he said the object did appear to have like a... um distortion around it almost like how we see heat coming off of a road and he believed that the object was hot and he didn't say for sure but the thinking was that maybe whatever this object was was hot enough to melt some to melt some plastic components of the car now in the back of my mind i'm thinking hmm if it melted parts of the car, if it damaged the car, could somebody be going out looking for that car? Maybe that's why the headlights came down the road, pulled in his drive, were looking around to see if they could find that car anywhere in the region. I don't know who would have been looking for it. You could always go after the conspiracy side and say, well, maybe it was the men in black looking for this thing. But I couldn't rule that out. So we talked on the phone. I agreed to come down. At the same time, um, I had a brand new field investigator that was coming on board. I thought, hey, this will be a good time to bring him down along with me. And let's just use whatever techniques we can to see what we can come up with as evidence maybe from on this car. I've had a few cases like this. A couple of them were misses because in one of the cases in particular, totally different case, the individual said his girlfriend was driving home. An object was over the car and it interfered with the radio, cell phones and so forth on her. And he believed it had a magnetic effect. I want to come out and check the car itself for magnetic fields. I'm thinking, what if something on the car was magnetized unusually because of this? Well, I've set up time to go out and see the car. And the individual who told me about this case with the car with the object above it, his girlfriend really didn't like him turning a report in. And she broke up with him over this whole thing. Now, I hated to see him break up on one hand, but on the other hand, I wanted, I wanted to examine his car. Uh, where the relationship went, that's up to them, you know. But I wanted to look to see if there are any effects because I'm, I would always like to see these cases with potential trace evidence. So myself um, and the other field investigator agreed to go down to the area and examine this individual's car. So what I did is I, I grabbed hold of a couple big bags I've got full of um, instruments and other devices on there, uh, some to collect samples, some to look for magnetic fields. And I ended up driving like a couple hours, two and a half hours, something like that, down towards southern Ohio to examine this car. When I went down there, one of the things I did was drive the exact same path that the witness described as taking from the restaurant that night. I wanted to put myself in that witness's shoes. 
So I started at the restaurant. I started driving. I hit the rural areas. And just like he described, the ground went up, down, winding, winding left, right, all different directions on there. And I found the hill he was talking about. And I still have the video that I took along the path. And you can see the car coming up to this peak of the hill and breaking over the top of the hill. And you can see how it was like a very blind turn. That somebody coming up could have, been, could have completely surprised something in the road on that given night. Before I went to the witness's house, I even drove back and forth this location like three, four, five times just to kind of capture the region from all different angles with the camera as much as I could. Again, I wanted to put myself in the witness's shoes on that night heading home from the restaurant. After I'd recorded the surroundings, I drove back to the witness's house, uh, pulled into the driveway, and they, they came up to the back door as we pulled in. I introduced myself, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break, and after a short break, we're going to come back and pick up the rest of the story. What happened? What they hit? We'll find out later. This is Thomas Wortman on Euthodicy on Odyssey. We'll see you after the break. This is Odyssey. Welcome back to the second half of Euphodicy on Odyssey. I, I needed a break right there. I had to get a second cup of coffee, which I may regret later on tonight. I have to confess, normally I do the shows on the weekend. I could record them ahead of time. And this week, I procrastinated. I don't like to procrastinate. I don't like to put things off. But I had to get away from everything for a while. And one of my hobbies, by the way, is um, I play around with 3D printers. I build them. I design them. As a matter of fact, all day at work, what I do is I do programming of robotics. So this is kind of like my outlet when I get away from my job. And over the weekend, I started building, uh, actually troubleshooting some computer boards. And I figured out what was wrong with a couple different boards. And I got them to work. And next thing I'm like, well, I've got these extra parts and I've got to build more 3D printers. Uh, so 3D printers are kind of like multiplying in my office like rabbits. But that's a whole nother story. Back to the drone. Well, we pulled in the drive and got out, approached a witness, talked to them, found out their background. Uh, we discussed the case, kind of reviewed everything. Again, I like to go back and review the case multiple times with witnesses on there to see if the story changes, if the story stays the same, uh, if any extra information comes out. And their story, actually both their stories were remaining constant on there. They were driving down the road. They saw this object which appeared to be like a drone hovering above the, the road. The object appeared to be hot because it had kind of like this almost like heat aura as they described around it. When they struck this thing, it, it actually went either underneath the car or around the side of the car. They weren't really sure which. But they could hear it hitting the car and they thought it was going to come in the window. On the passenger side, uh, like I said earlier, they, they drove home and they also thought something came and pulled in their drive that night, shining the lights in the house and backed up and went away. So myself and the other field investigator, we took and started examining the car. As a matter of fact, we actually had four of us there that day now that I think about it. Uh, that was before I became state director. Uh, I was back at that time chief field investigator and had one of my new investigators on board, along with our state director and assistant director, if I remember correctly. So what we did is um, a couple of them went up and sat on the porch, talked to the witnesses some more, and myself and a new field investigator went out and started examining the car. And we could see scratches of different types on the side of the car. Some it was kind of hard to tell that if it was damage from hitting the object or previous damage on there. We didn't know what the condition of the car was exactly before the event. And one of the things I wanted to do is start examining the car as close as I could. They, they got some of the pieces out for us. 
to begin with. They had some of the pieces of plastic that were melted. And they had these smaller pieces about the size of the palm of my hand that we laid on the trunk of the car looking at them. And I was just trying to do a visual check to determine why these plastics would melt. And what I planned on doing is going back home and researching the type of plastics that would be used on these cars. I worked for a company prior to that where we did um, equipment for plastic injection. And I was going to go back and research that because we made equipment for the manufacturer of that car. So we had those pieces of plastic I took as evidence. Also, uh, we went down the side of the car where they said that the object had been striking. And one of the things I want to do is look for magnetic anomalies. So one of the things, basic things I brought along with me was a standard magnetic compass. And I was, I was showing the investigator how to go down along the outside of the car and look for potential, the potentially part of the car maybe being magnetized. One of the things we were doing is taking it across uh, the outside surface of the car. And I showed him how when he got around the wheels of the car, the compass would actually point towards the area. So as you approach it, I mean, here the compass starts pointing towards the wheel area. You go past it, it keeps pointing back to it. And it was doing it on all the wheels. Now, this wasn't unexpected. Why? On the car, you had rotors. The rotors are made of steel, iron, and that material had become magnetized. So that was causing it. But we didn't find any other traces of magnetism that were unusual on the outside of the car. We took, got cameras out, we photographed all these scratches along the car itself, along the side of the car, uh, coming from the right front fender all the way to the back. But I noticed a witness was also pointing out areas along the back of the car that they didn't describe anything hitting the back, but he was also pointing out additional areas. And I was kind of getting a little bit concerned that maybe from his excitement, he was looking at any potential mark on that car being related back to this event. Now, the car itself, I was kind of surprised at the car that they were driving. Uh, being in the profession he was in, I was kind of expecting more of a car, I hate to say it, than what he was driving that day. But... Uh, I'm the type of guy, too. I've got my car. I kind of call my old beater. Uh, and I drive around most of the time during the year. And I've got my other car. I can, other cars, I should say, I keep back uh, for other times, like the sunny days. Well, he described hitting the object from the front. And one of the things I did was get under the car the best I could. I'm not exactly a small person. Uh, so I got under the front end. I started looking for the areas where the plastic had been broken away. I started examining those areas. Uh, I could see where parts of plastic had melted. It looked like something had pushed into uh, the inner wheel well, had pushed against a tire to begin with. And maybe the friction of the tire had started causing the plastic to kind of melt. That was just one of my earlier um, opinions of what happened on there. But when I also started looking at the front of the car, uh, underneath I saw a lot of scratches and even puncture holes through the plastic. Now these were smaller puncture holes. It was almost like somebody took something, uh, almost like, I guess you could say like a stapler or something like that real sharp and just started popping holes to this plastic, something very strong on there. And I also saw physical evidence. Uh, it appeared to be biological, I guess I'll say at this point right now, in nature. And I didn't say anything to the witness, but I took the samples off the car. Uh, there was still more evidence there, but I took as much of the samples as I could get put them into, um, in this case, plastic containers to seal them up. And I didn't say anything when I came out from the car. Uh, I told my investigator what I'd done. 
but I didn't tell the witness on there. So we looked for as much evidence as we could possibly get. And I said, well, why don't we go back to the area now and examine the region for any other potential trace evidence that we could come up with? Well, then it dawned on me, he had to walk up this fairly good-sized hill. And it was a very hot day, by the way, uh, because myself and the investigator went all the way up to the top, along with the witness. He described where he came around the turn. He described the various areas around that turn. And one of the things I wanted to do is I thought, well, if he hit something, maybe something could deflect and go over the guardrail, which is on the side of the road, and go down an area in there. And I was, walked over the guardrail, and I started seeing this wooded area. And little I realized that you go about 8 to 10 feet back in this wooded area, and it drops off about 20 to 30 feet right now. And I start walking back in there. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I've got to go down there. And now do I have to go down there to look for something. I have to also come back up from down there looking for something. So I started uh, going back and forth because I was procrastinating here again, too. I started going back and forth along the upper area, along the guardrail, looking for physical evidence. And all I found was a few more pieces of plastic in that region, maybe from the impact, I could suspect. We found a lot of other things that appear to be non-related uh, to that event on air, along the side of the road, like normal uh, garbage you'd normally find along the side of a road. So I finally put off enough procrastination that myself, I went clear down the hill and started looking all along the side of the hill as much as I could for any physical evidence of this object they described as being a drone flying over the guardrail and going down the hillside and maybe hitting trees or something else. And as I'm walking back and forth all along the trees, I couldn't find any like remains of a drone or anything like that. I also couldn't find any impact marks off of uh, the trees or uh, marks on the ground where something had dug into the ground like from an impact. I couldn't find any evidence like that. But there was a lot of wildlife in that region down there. I could find a lot of animal holes. I was watching for it. I didn't know what was down in there exactly at that time. But I had suspicions. But I couldn't find any evidence of a drone. So I started replaying all these events in my mind as I'm, I'm, you know, walking around the area. I finally get back up the hill, uh, compare notes with the other investigators. And basically what I have to do is I've got to take the samples back home. Um, I've got a little small lab in my house at home, not super impressive, but enough to, to look at some of the stuff on here. Also at the time... Um, uh, I had access to other equipment uh, in a um, small medical lab that I could utilize to go back and look at uh, some of the evidence under microscopes and so forth on there. So we said goodbye to witnesses on there. We're going to get reach back out to them later. I ended up driving back to two and a half hours home and talked to the other in investigator, kind of compared notes, told him about the evidence I detained off the car. And the following day, I uh, went over to the lab, talked to a friend of mine who was in charge of that department on there and said, hey, I'd like to use some of your microscopes and stuff to look at some evidence I found under a microscope. And when I started looking at it uh, under a microscope, parts of the evidence had hairs in it. And... I don't know about you, but one of the things that went through my mind right away was, what the heck if they hit somebody with their car? And these hairs I'm finding on the car are human. I could have somebody with almost like a murder case or a hit and run case on my hand, you know? I didn't sign up to be a UFO investigator uh, and go out and, and look for hit and run accidents of uh, people. So I started examining the hairs, and I am no expert on hair, but what I did is I started getting all various samples that I could find 
of like human hairs and all different types of animal hairs to kind of go back and compare to. And I started finding a more of a correlation with an animal type of hair based on comparing the images on there. And I started also looking at the plastics. The plastics um, were from the inner fender well. Uh, they appeared to be parts of the car which had broken off, either from the impact or after the impact from rubbing friction and everything else. And I was still puzzled about, actually I had the photographs uh, for evidence too, of the puncture marks on the underside of the car. What was causing those puncture marks? And I have to be very honest with you. Uh, this is why I say you have sometimes have to turn over a thousand rocks before you find some of these interesting cases. These puncture marks, I'm like, what would cause these puncture marks? And I started comparing that on my, of the evidence with the hair along with potentially different size of animals in that region that could cause puncture marks. And one of the things that came up was a raccoon and a raccoon I looked at their teeth I'm thinking about how strong their bite marks could potentially be I'm looking at this car like man this raccoon if it's a raccoon bit through this inner fender well it had to be really ticked off well I guess you would too if you were hit and I started reviewing the witness's story again as I'm reviewing the story, they said they came around this turn and they saw this dark object that had, in this case, um, what appeared to be four, they called it almost like, um, almost like support pods. Well, I don't want to say identified, but a raccoon has four legs. And I'm thinking, could somebody come around the corner, surprise a raccoon? And I mean, I'm seeing pictures of these things kind of like arching their back up, you know, standing up as high as they can on their legs. And I don't know if they could jump like vertical, how high could they jump like of all four legs going straight up. And I pictured if this guy hit something like that, could that thing be biting the car, tearing and scratching at the car and going up through like the wheel well area? But what wasn't all coming into mind, I couldn't visualize is, okay, now... They said this thing was like banging into the side of the car and they're afraid it was going to come in the window. Well, if this was a raccoon, I started looking at all the pictures of raccoons on the internet and looking at their teeth. And they got nasty little teeth out there. I wouldn't want to be bit by one. Uh, they're cute, but I wouldn't want one to bite me. And I can see, I look at their, their paws and stuff like that. I'm thinking this thing possibly scratching, tearing at the outside of the car. And causing some of these scratches. Now, some of the scratches on the car really didn't appear to be from the event. Maybe just normal wear and tear on the car. But this raccoon, uh, maybe it did go under the wheel well. I don't know if it came out. Maybe hit the side of the car. What? I don't know. Depends on the speed they're traveling. And I was looking to see if I could find actually a body of a raccoon out there, which I didn't find, by the way. Because when I was looking at the holes, I wasn't sure I was going to reach down in those holes down there I was finding. The holes were like large enough for a raccoon to go down into. Uh, I wasn't daring enough to reach down there because I didn't want to be bit by something that would create bite marks in the car like that. But one of my assumptions based off of the hair I was finding and the marks, the scratches and the teeth marks in the front of the car was it almost appeared that the witness had hit a raccoon and that was what was bouncing off of the car. When you hear a story like what the witness had and then you do the investigation, um, you wonder you know, how could the witness come up with a story? Not saying that they're lying, but how can you come up with a story after you know an event like this? And I think part of it goes back to, I mean, here they left a restaurant. They said he didn't have drinks. So I'm not going to call him on that. 
but they're driving home and all of a sudden they come around this turn and completely unexpectedly, you've only got maybe a second or two to analyze seeing this thing in front of you. And the thing I don't think was a um, drone, they said it appeared to have like a, a heat aura. Well, I think more of what they were potentially seeing was the hair standing out on the raccoon, uh, kind of shown in their headlights. And again, they only had one to two seconds to make this determination on what they saw before it struck the car. And they started hearing all these other noises related to the event as whatever it was went under the wheels of the car, or I should say in the wheel well of the car. So the minimal time that they had to observe the event made a determination on how they interpreted everything. The hairs I did collect, by the way, uh, those were determined to be basically from animal, uh, not human, which, believe me, I, I breathed a big sigh of relief on that one. Uh, I didn't want to have to call the police and say, hey, uh, I think this guy hit somebody. But he did come around a turn, see something that caught him completely off guard. And in that one to two seconds, he made his interpretation of what he saw. In this particular case, I think if he went back and looked at the witness more in depth, you'd find out that the witness had watched a number of shows regarding UFOs, believed in UFOs, and those shows combined with the beliefs may have made them reach for this as a potential answer for what they saw and what they struck in the road that night. Also, if you go to the end of their story, where they talked about seeing these lights drive down the road, pull into their drive and stop there for a while before backing up and leaving, they were relating that event back to potentially what they thought hitting maybe a drone. Well, it may have just been somebody innocently pulling in, getting their bearing straight, backing up and going back the other way. Because myself, when I went down here, I really wasn't 100% sure where the witness's house was. But I drove through the region I found the area that appeared to be their house, and I drove back and forth four five times recording the region. And part of what I was doing as I was driving back and forth is making sure I had identified the right area based on their descriptions. So maybe somebody just was very innocently lost that night. I can't say. I'm not saying that I'm completely immune to doing things like that myself. Uh, back in the 1960s, 1968 roughly, I had also UFO experiences and I also had an incident where a car was pulling into my drive on almost a nightly basis shining its lights into my house. I never did identify the source of those lights, why they were doing that. But one of my thoughts was after that, that who knows, maybe it was the men in black. Because the car that was pulling in my drive was about a 1965 Black Ford Galaxy. Something like the car that you saw Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones driving in Men in Black. So I may have been guilty myself of doing the same thing. So what I took away from this investigation was number one, uh, the ability to, to gather evidence, look at evidence in a in light of what is this trace evidence from? Analyzing this case would have could have created uh, the evidence the way it is, like the melt marks, the scratches, and so forth on here. And more importantly, why is the witness reporting the object in the way that they are? In their case, I think they were affected by a lot of the shows that they were watching, which went back, which were UFO-related. They made... A assumption that they were connected together. This case I ended up closing out as basically being witness encounters Rocky to Raccoon. Rocky loses, the witness thinks they hit a UFO. Without the physical evidence in this case, I think maybe there might have been a, a different interpretation, but I think the physical evidence in this case was the one which really told the story. I'm still putting together some audio tapes for another upcoming show on airplane pilots. But what I'm going to be doing instead next week is going into something a little bit different. Um, this happened again to be a local case. 
but it has ended up being featured on some television shows. Uh, maybe it didn't gain international attention, but I think this is a tremendous case. This case goes back to 1994, roughly right around December 14th, 1994, in an area called Trumbull County, Ohio. And the case was stumbled across by a complete accident by a investigator at that time called Kenny Young, who was doing a tremendous job in researching UFO cases. In this case, Kenny Young had heard reports about a potential UFO crash in an area down close to Dayton, Ohio, which is the southwest portion of the state. The area was actually Liberty, Ohio. Well, at that time, you have to think about 1990s, how would you find phone numbers? The internet isn't being used like it is today. So he looked up directory assistance. He called directory assistance and said, I'd like to be put in contact with uh, the police department in Liberty, Ohio. Well, who they connected him with instead was Liberty Township which happens to be over close to Youngstown, Ohio, in the opposite corner of the state. When he started talking to the police department, he realized he had a whole different region. And it was, was not the same case whatsoever. But they described an encounter with not only UFO, but police officers observing a UFO on multiple nights in that region. So he had maybe even potentially bigger case that he followed up on. And that's what we're going to be doing on the next show on Euphodicy. We'll be talking about Trumbull County in 1994. Thank you for joining us this evening. This is Thomas Wortman. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. And I hope you tune back in next week to Euphodicy on Odyssey. Check out the Move from Ohio uh, website. Also, go to your Fodacy Facebook page. We'll see you next week. Odyssey. Dare to wonder. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.